Hi, you are listening to Rock Lads Radio. A podcast discussing inspiring personalities and interesting things. This is your host Tanmay Shah. Tanmay is an India-based NFT artist and an entrepreneur with diverse business experience. This podcast is self-sponsored. The best way to support this show is to buy his art, NFTs. You can also become his patron. Kindly share this episode on socials and with your friends. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rockla's Radio. On today's show we have Lawrence Fuller and you will know about him in just a second. Having recently taken on the road to iconic British uh, painter David Hockney in the new HBO Max series Min X, Lawrence Fuller is best known for his lead roles in feature films Road to the Well Apostle Peter and the Last Supper painted red Lawrence Fuller actually got his start in British theater training at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School and taking lead role in the West End theater production of Madness of uh, Valencia at Trafalgar Studios directed by uh, Simon Evans on screen fuller has worked opposite robert logia sally kirkland uh, max kulin asher keddy jack maggie lucky davis and barry primus his work as actor has been acknowledged by critics and film festivals and was uh, tapped as finalist in the health ledgers scholarship Lead roles in the further notable festival shorts include Mother and Brother, Nocturnal Silence, Five Families, and Echoes of You. As a writer producer, his first film Possessions was produced by ABC Australia. His most re- recent spec screenplay is about his late father, the art critic Peter Fuller. Modern art has won awards and placed as a finalist in 30 of screenwriting competition so far in last year Lawrence Fuller of Road to the Well paint it red stars echoes of you as classical pianist struggling to make his mark who finds his greatest fulfillment in unlikely places this is a very lovely short film that Uh, builds to an emotional ending that which that will hit you hard uh, this uh, critique was by alex billington first showing uh, review for echoes of you the following is by ruthless reviews uh, review for road to well frank was played brilliantly by lawrence fuller beneath the dossy exterior there is small daring anger and ruthlessness that only surfaces after a series of calamitous events this film was good i'm i'm talking about alfred hitchcock and cohen uh, brothers good this following review is by times uh, time out a review of madness in valencia lawrence fuller is 
Portless Pisano following is by Blacklist Cover Blacklist Coverage for Modern Art Modern Art shows a solid control for craft with powerful twists memorable introductions to character and effect use of uh, planting and payoff so fl- uh, <sighs> Lawrence, welcome to Rock Class Radio. It's great to have you today. I've been looking forward to this. Um, thank you for that uh, wonderful and long introduction. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to be here talking to you. Awesome. So I, as I was doing my research, I was going to ask you, how did you start your journey? And then I stumbled upon information that Peter Fuller, your father, was a art and a movie critic also he wrote into magazines so i'm sure he has had an influence but how how was your journey growing up and becoming what you are today um yeah so my late father peter fuller was he was an art critic and, and you know his writings was very niche for his time as well you know he was trying to reach a popular audience in in that he would uh, write for the sunday telegraph and he wrote for magazines, but the the subject matter that he was talking about, sort of um, art history and the contemporary art scene in England at the time, um, you know, by the standards of popular culture and the media of what we consider today to be a large reach, his, his was quite niche. Um, and because of that, I think he was able to actually go into depth about art and culture and things and in a way that is hard to do otherwise. Um, so it was great to learn about that and sort of get into the substance of what culture is about, really. Um, but I didn't really start reading his writing seriously until I was late 20s um, because I guess it's so dense. Uh, I started my own love for the arts in cinema you know i've really really loved um you know even i'm thinking of my childhood movies in like labyrinth and dark crystal and you know things which were just sort of adventures uh and had a lot of imagination in them um because i suppose that was that was sort of the ethos of growing up in an artistic house was just sort of loving your imagination and creativity for its own sake. Uh, And of course, like the road to becoming an artist professionally uh, is really something that you have to, um, you know, learn. I came across again, this quote by Stella Adler, who was my favorite like dramatist recently. She taught a lot of actors and the quote was, to be an artist, you have to have the soul of a rose and the hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> you know? Uh, so wow. it, it, was, it was, it took me like two years to get into drama school, just auditioning for drama school to get the training. Cause I wanted to get the training, you know, I didn't just want to go in and, and go to work on films and TV without that. Um, so many of my favorite actors like Daniel Day-Lewis and Robert De Niro and, um, 
the i guess the leading man of of like the the 90s and also of the 20th century they all had their foundations in the in like sort of classical theater training but most you know theater training nonetheless and um uh, I got to the final rounds of RADA and then just missed out on that. And then I was kind of traveling around with my uncle for a long time, who was a stand-up comedian oh. in my year. Yeah, in my year off, I guess, between schooling and, and drama school, I was like trying to find myself. And my uncle was like, well, come on the road with me. You know, he had a really interesting life and he needed help you know, as like an assistant to sell his albums, uh, his stand-up comedy albums after the show. Um, so I got to learn that sort of experience, like see what it was like living as a live performer going on the road with him. And I became the sort of the, the butt of his jokes in the center of his show for like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was pretty, it's pretty fun. Uh, it was a great theatrical experience. And then, I got into the drama school I wanted to the next year um, so I could focus on the classics and practicing my own craft as an actor and learning how to do Shakespeare and um, working with like a lot of the old sort of uh, dames and um, just bastions of the theatre in British theatre, you know, people who worked with Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Theatre and like the the Shakespeare's Globe and getting to learn from them how they do their craft really informed, like I think in large part, um, where my, you know, what evolved into my art and my poetry and um, my understanding of acting as well. Um, because it's hard to, it's really hard to fake Shakespeare. Well, you know, there's people who fake Shakespeare and, but you can tell right away that there's something kind of, it's a bit much or something, it, you know, it's very <laughs> easily, uh, too much. So to find like, to find an authentic Shakespearean performance really takes having to go there and and use one's imagination to the fullest. And um, I think practicing contemporary techniques, the same that they use in film. And, you know, I was really interested in the way like method acting and Lee Strasberg and, you know, the New York school of acting and contemporary acting came about as well, just as much as the Shakespeare. And I think, um, that's always been a, a sort of informed my thinking as well. Like where, what about the past is worth preserving in the present and how to contemporize old ways of storytelling. And I've just spoken for about 20 minutes. So. <laughs> just like storytelling from the past, you are also into art. So even what art from the back we can preserve and, do a new version of that. I'm curious about that. <laughs> visual, visual art. Uh, and of course, you're doing a great job of that. You're displaying those visual arts as well as a voiceover from a old poem and combining those to create a NFT. 
So how does that come about? How do you collab with, or are you an visual artist as well? So how did you come up with those NFTs? Well, um, I've started learning the digital art techniques more recently, but none of the paintings that feature in any of my pieces are mine. Um, I'll collaborate with contemporary artists and, you know, obviously we split it 50, 50 and I find a way to animate the piece. Or if I'm working with Tanya Revillas, she really likes to animate her own pieces. Um, because I think that's also something she wants to, you know, evolve in her own solo work. Um, so, but from many of the, the painters that I've worked with, I, I animate the piece using GAN techniques, using AI, and also video footage, and kind of blending those together to find like a, I look for like the cinematic in a painting. You know what would make a good film scene, and um, then contribute the performance to it. And uh, most of, nearly all of the contemporary painters I've worked with, when I've collaborated with them, it's been my own poetry as well, my own writing. Um, I did have an idea for a collection on Tezos early on where I adapted um, classic paintings, found different ways of animating them with different techniques, digital techniques, sometimes motion capture if it was like a portrait um, and video footage. And then um, using like classic poems that were in public domain. And I guess that was very much um taking from my training in the theater classics because i was like well how how can we make this like theatrical how can we how can a theater actor bring what their craft to digital art and mm -hmm. um also it also came out of um my favorite poet is baudelaire even though his writings are much better in french but he uh he was also an art critic and he would write about paintings in his poetry all the time. Like the correspondences is this really long poem about Goya and Delacroix and Rubens. And it really made me think that if he had the technology that he would have also done the same, he would want to sort of have the poetry inhabit the painting and have them work together and speak with a voice. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's not really relevant in the physical world to need to do that. A painting speaks for itself on the wall and with its physical presence, but in the digital realm, it works wonderfully. It gives it a it gives it a life. It gives it movement in a way that you couldn't have in the physical world. That could only exist in the digital world, and um, has that sort of esoteric uh, sort of memory value that that like a film has. You know, because cinema is never physical. It's screened on a television or a, or a big screen. And the value of it is fleeting. It's for however long the film lasts. And, uh, you know, with short videos, of course, poetry works perfectly in that same way. And online, it, it can take on a virable, virability effect. It can take on a viral effect because that was the purpose of poetry in, in the world you know, for hundreds of years was for poetry to reach like a very wide audience and for like you know, someone who's never read a book before to be able to learn a poem and to carry that with them as they, as they go through life. 
you know you said poetry had an effect of reaching out to the wider audience and you also mentioned about shakespeare and works and art but i have a problem with that uh the shakespeare in english is of course we are all commonwealth nation and speak english as second or third language but shakespeare in english is it's kind of tough because it's not the language we speak in day to day so is there a way or uh, would you like to do couple of things uh, in future where you can simplify that language but have the same emotions and thoughts and put that in a modern uh, work yeah absolutely um i've experimented with a couple shakespeare nfts but i do absolutely have plans for like you say to make that even more accessible um and imaginative and wild and you know in the life of digital art um yeah i i i don't want to give too much away but i one thing i'm working with there's a couple things actually there's one i'm working with a 3d artist a brilliant 3d artist one of the best in the space on a motion capture performance of shakespeare and then he's putting it into his world and you know it it looks it, as good as any film i've seen you know in in terms of special effects and you have that sort of um like spectacle that like a studio film would get would give the audience but also the depth of shakespeare uh and i think uh, you know other than that and that would be a monologue but other than that i think i'm uh, i'm also working with a painter who's figured out some interesting gan techniques that combining video footage with gan and so mm-hmm. that sounds exciting do you also it'll be awesome you know i'm excited for that but do you plan to simplify that english language used by shakespeare into modern language and then put put that on it so i think it'll be more accessible to many many more people and uh, uh, just yeah uh, sorry have the full effect have the full effect of that work yeah because i mean contemporizing shakespeare's like a problem that uh, i mean a lot of the actors i really look up to and the dramatists i look up to ian mckellen and patrick stewart and ray fines have all taken on shakespeare adaptations in cinema but yeah they haven't really contemporized the language as much there's been some films that have attempted like i think the film o with josh hartness a while back was an othello adaptation and sometimes like you won't even realize that you're watching a shakespeare adaptation but that was the purpose of a script but um yeah i mean i mean definitely my own poetry is heavily inspired by shakespeare and the romantics um i've never attempted a direct adaptation but that would be interesting yeah exactly it'll be it'll be awesome so could you recite a poem for us <laughs> yeah sure um let me just get up let me get it right um do you want like uh, my favorite poem is jerusalem by blake do you want that or one of my own both let's hear both <laughs> okay 
so this is the the second part of um, Jerusalem by Blake. Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I love... Um, I love the the sort of the power and the the passion in that, and I did an adaptation of Jerusalem in a piece called Colossus Wonders Paradise, um, and the the reading of that for that NFT is actually was performed live as well for Beats live event, um, and then we cut it like straight into the NFT like. I had to like perform it and then it was all happening live and then cut it, put it to the, the piece and then mint it. Like it, it was fun to juggle. Um, let me get up. So what is the name of the NFT that was made out of that? Colossus Wonders Paradise. Um, okay. And now I can get up. Why didn't I get up? I can get up one I haven't minted yet. Would that be interesting? No, absolutely. <sighs> is this the first time public is going to get to hear this? Yeah, this is the first time. This is for a collaboration with one of the best uh, dark artists in the space. Ooh, wow. Let me tell you of a forest in the darkest quarries, in the shadows of heroes, fallen warriors buried beneath the trees, harmonies heard from a chorus of birds, their gravestones an army of trees, where each fold of its root a word covered in wood, the seven sins dug as deep as they could. Voices around a crackling fire rose in the smoke that made the whole wood exhale and choke, like a flurry of locusts had gained possession of an old English as they spoke, the most feverish pitch in the valley of the witch. Um, and then it goes on. That was half of it. I'm not going to give the whole thing. How's that? <laughs> I'll just give the first half. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> so what what inspired this one uh well i i guess i can tell you that uh dolce uh let me i don't want to say her last name incorrectly um because i've never said it out loud before so let me um just get up so the, the artist inspired uh and her name is Dolce Pagane, D-O-L-C-E, Pagane. And, uh, I mean, if you look at her art, um, 
it's really twisted sort of dark imagination with a lot of like gothic themes you can see inspired by like Edgar Allan Poe and um, probably a lot of Victorian literature, Brothers Grimm, sort of dark fairy tales. And much like I was sort of talking about the films of my childhood, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And, you know, I love, I, I love dark fairy, fairy tales because fairy tales were originally all very dark the Brothers Grimm, the whole book is actually quite terrifying, like The Little Mermaid and things like that. They're actually quite scary uh, stories and fables. Um, <laughs> so her her art it really just inspired the uh, this idea of the Valley of the Witch. And I, I wrote that and sent it to her, and she's sketching it at the moment, what it's going to look like. And she, I think she's animating it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. That's coming soon. Exciting. I'll, I want to search that and put those links in the description as well. So you mentioned those fairy tales were dark. So what kind of dark? Like torture and death or something even worse? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I think it's the... I mean, I, I mean, Brothers Grimm did have all sorts of things, yeah. But I think, you know, when it comes to um, that sort of darkness in fine art and painting, if you walk through a museum, you'll see some things that sort of elicit the imagination and, and just sort of touch on, like, things that are slightly scary, but, but not, like, gory, you know, uh, like a fawn or something like that, you know, with the goat the goat legs and the horns like coming out and uh, being dragged away by nymphs or, or them like checking out some nymphs and then cupids like messing around and you know all sorts of sort of creatures and uh, heaven and hell uh, sort of at battle and one with each other uh, you know a, a lot of those epic poems were were taken from religious iconography um paradise lost and and um dante's inferno were sort of explorations of the other side of the bible of what that looked like what did hell look like um so i think there's something a mischievous part of our nature that enjoys exploring those things and dante's uh, inferno, for us dante's Dante's Inferno was in a movie as well, right? Uh, da Vinci Code or something. They mm. from that it was drawn, and it was an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And Da Vinci Code. Um, I mean, I mean, Da Vinci Code really touches on how um, in Renaissance times, and and I guess everything sort of pre-Raphaelite was uh, like classic paintings were had a lot of religious iconography in them. And part of the fun, I think, about classic artworks are the secrets, the secret language of the images and the symbols within even like a still life, you know, and figuring out those clues that are like a mystery and can, can take you on a journey like the Da Vinci Code for your for your own life. Definitely a big part of my attraction to wanting to work with fine art with the secret language of the images. 
when i saw that you have a film apostle peter and the last supper i saw its trailer but that just quickly caught my attention because a couple of weeks back there was the good friday and i didn't know much about what is good friday about and a previous host on the podcast was saying like uk has one or two weeks of holiday for good friday so of course i knew what is christmas and uh, that's the main that's the main festival uh, for the christians but good friday i went ahead and searched about it so that was related to uh, crucifixion of jesus and then uh, his uh, and so i i tried to search more about it and then i went into the history of what record has been kept and peter and how all these things have come out come about to be so peter and i just love the trailer and i'm looking forward to watch that whole movie and uh, that quote very says i am not chained you are <laughs> that was that was awesome. yeah i mean uh, that was actually my first lead role in a film it was my first feature film ever um and i think the first role i booked when i got to la when Mm. about 10 years ago um and it, yeah it was it was a christian movie of course um had no idea i'd be working with robert loja who was just a classic character actor made many brilliant movies like scarface and independence day and um big and and it was his uh last his definitely his last lead role in a film and i think he made just one appearance again after that and uh so truly an honor to just be a part of that man's journey in any way um i'm i'm not uh religious myself but i mean i i'm really interested in the storytelling and the yeah basically the storytelling i mean and and the human struggle within all that um and it's just an interesting thing now that you know uh, there's millions of people that will watch me go through that journey every year around christmas and easter uh, uh you know it's kind of interesting like every christmas uh, there'll be some tweets that pop up about me in this movie or and then like yeah i don't know people watch it at sunday school and there's a huge market for for christian movies um yeah i don't know it's an interesting one and what fascinates me uh, about the writing as well is or just how religions evolve there is a person or there is a group initially but then there are so many other people who add on to the story and they are affected by it and they influence each other and how that evolves and now in the contemporary time as you are uh, portraying that same story with your emotions and your expressions and the writer's thought on that trying to relate it correlated with the current audience that that is just so fascinating to me what do you think yeah um you're you're absolutely right that's really a- quite something to wrap your head around isn't it yeah it, i mean it's uh religion is much like a culture you know and it and it starts small and uh and yeah it, it can spread based on the quality of the story 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was watching uh, this one, Echoes of You, before this. And as you mentioned, your relation about father and the son, that sort of thing is also mentioned, the, like the best seat in the hall. And <laughs> I don't want to disclose that. I wish everyone watches that film. So I just love the expression. Uh, like there are so many micro expressions apart from the main actor. I mean, the viewer cannot express, okay, pinpoint and look and I say like this or like that, but it just gives you such a good feeling, right? It's a, such a feel-good uh, short film. I just loved it. <laughs> so oh, that's man, up to you. There's so much hope in that in that little short, isn't there? Like, yeah. It, it was really a moving script when the director sent it to me. He was a friend of mine and he was like, I want you to play this part. I read it and I, I like burst into tears by the end of it. I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> what a great story, you know? And then, uh, so we had, you know, it was one of those films we had to shoot all the stuff in the theater. They only had the theater for a day. So we had to shoot that all in a day. And, um, you know, those big moments at the end in your mind, you think you're going to have like, okay, I'll have all day for this one moment. But in reality, you have like two takes at it or something like that. But I think they, they did a great job with like the makeup and the, um, the end effect turned out great. I mean, I, I mean, it's, that is a great film to share whenever it feels like the world needs a little bit more hope. So maybe I should share it again soon. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely, you must. So even the details, like the syringes next to the boy's mother and uh, the the whole shot, the it was so interesting. I mean, uh, that janitor working and being uh, getting rejected again and again and then fast forward to 20 years and he's still a janitor. And then the person who has helped him or the child has grown up and wow, it gives him a surprise of the best seat in the hall. And it's, it was so epic, that whole moment. It's it's so fascinating that you can have such a roller coaster of emotion in such a short time. You don't need to watch a full two hour or three hour movie. <laughs> yeah, you you're, you're right. Well, if they, you know, if... Um... You're right. I guess it's like a piece of poetry, isn't it? You know? If yeah, it, if, yes. If you yes, tell it just yes. right. Yeah. Absolutely. So how 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 do you accept or reject scripts that you get? Or how do you decide which ones to do? Um, I mean, mostly it's like... Mm, mostly I think as as you de as you develop like uh, like an acting reel and people get to know who you are and you start to do some jobs that's sort of who you become as an actor and people will approach you with the sort of scripts that that they think you're right for so you kind of define that as you go like and then the scripts and the jobs that you get are kind of in line with that. Um, because uh, I tend to just get, I tend to only really get the stuff that I really want to do anyway. And 
I tend not to be in the position where, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess it's, it's fortunate in that way. I think if you just really are passionate about what you do and believe in, in whatever it is that you do, then people will see that and they'll understand it and you'll communicate, okay, this person is, they're great for this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I really think so, that's so the best. From the trailers mm-hmm. I watched, all these, most of the movies seem to be very serious, but you have spent so much time traveling with your uncle in the stand-up comedy scene. So do you plan to do comedy? Or do you, um, would you like to? I mean, a certain kind of comedy. I, I don't know if I'm... Uh... You know, there's funnier people than me, but uh, I definitely <laughs> appreciate the craft and like I, I love like absurd humor and like British humor and uh, yeah, I do love absurd humor. I mean, the the piece I just did with Minx and uh, HBO is kind of comedy, I would say. It's like dramedy. You know, it would be hard to categorize it as just a drama or just a comedy, but um. That's probably the lightest thing that I've done, yeah. I guess I've just got like that brooding like intensity of like let's go mm. on some dark journey. <laughs> so can we can we do one thing like can we uh, as you've been to the theater school and all these things so can you tell a statement with different emotions? <laughs> Same statement yeah. but but with different emotions. You want me to do that? Mm. Yeah. that would be that, really okay, interesting let's, let's go let's do Jerusalem bring me my bow of burning gold hmm. what else should I do in it like how else should I do it so uh, maybe uh, something serious, uh, some angry live acting coach in here. Okay, <laughs> so angry, comedy, uh, fearful. I don't know. You will know more emotions than I can count. <laughs> Bring me my sorrow, burning gold. Bring me my bow of burning gold. Like that. That's the sign of yearning and sorrowful. Mm-hmm. What next? <laughs> Comedy. Comedy. Uh-huh. But how do you do that? Well, the thing with comedy, I think you've got to like find the truth in it. Mm-hmm. Why would it be funny? Bring me. Would you bring me my bow of burning gold? Someone doesn't have their bow burning gold. <laughs> yeah, that that went well. <laughs> You're supposed to. This is supposed to be. This is what they pay me for, you know. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to call so, my agent. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you do it? What do What do you visualize? Or how there's something between reading and then there is. How do you do it? I mean, um, 
Well, I suppose with the last one, it, I, I thought it would be funny to see someone struggling with the fact that they just they don't have their bow and that's really frustrating to them. And I think that that would just be like the humor would just come out of genuinely just being watching someone be frustrated. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the sorrowful one just came from really imagining the loss of this bow and I guess the despair of not having it and maybe almost the giving up of feeling like he's never going to get the bow again, um, which could also be funny. But mm. that was the sorrow for one. Mm. And I think it—it's sort of, if you think, if you think, okay, bring me my bow of burning gold, is is myself, is a man myself, desiring a a bow of burning gold, and what you know, how much he thinks he who who is he talking to to bring it to him, you know, I, and I think in in the way that it's written, Blake means it in a way that this guy's going to, he asks for the bow of burning gold, he's going to get it. So when he says it, he says it with the confidence that it's going to come to him. So bring me my bow of burning gold. It's like he's talking to his assistant or somebody who carries his bow for him um, for the purpose of, you know, going to battle for England and, you know, in the, in the some sort of, uh you know battle with the gods in a way so mm -hmm. it's it there's a lot in that line i think that feeds the imagination and you're right it can be done a hundred different ways it's just about how you imagine what the scenario is really why does this man want this bow and who is he talking to and what is he going to do with it So, uh, how about bring me my bow or burning a gold because I want to sell that as NFT. <laughs> bring me my bow of burning gold. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta sell it <laughs> no I mean to sell it to sell that as an NFT I think you just need a good story it's like anything you just I mean I don't think it's any different to um, performing in a film or, or a theater or anything you just want a really good story don't you you just want mm -hmm. excitement and to be taken on a journey. You know, one thing I really appreciate actors is about crying, especially the male actors, because it is really, really difficult to cry, even when you feel like crying. For most of the men in our society where we are said mm -hmm. we need to be strong and uh, girls cry and it's not the guys who cry, you need to suck it up and live with it, whatever, and so on and so forth. So how do you do it? <laughs> how, how do you cry? Well, um, you know, in, in the film Echoes of You, it was just about thinking about 
how proud I was, how proud I was of, of the, of the kit and how much I would have wanted that from the people who were no longer in my life, because that was the man's story as well. He wanted his father to be sat in that seat and it was fulfilling this, this thing that this desire that was a deep emotional one that could never be satisfied. And in that moment he got to have it. So it was about imagining that same situation for myself, imagining the people I would want from my life, to, who would, who I would want to be sat where I was sitting, watching me play the piano on that stage. Mm -hmm. And it, so you've got to find that, whatever that is for you. Um, and you know, I, I spent, I spent sort of years sort of wrestling with, you can spend a long time wrestling with like trying to force emotions when you're trying to discover acting, even the real ones that are, you're trying to relive memories or something like that. But then I think after you do it so many times where you're applying, you're imagining how a scenario might affect you and what are the things that really affect you in your life um, and sort of applying those to the script to where it does become a bit more seen. You do get more used to it and it does f become a bit more relaxed because the only way to get to a vulnerable emotion to, to the point where you are crying, because crying is, an, is not an emotion, it's a symptom of emotion. But the, the only way to get to a vulnerable place is to be relaxed and to be you know, to just focus on what it is that you're doing. And, um, and yeah, to prepare in the right, in the right way. And, uh, sometimes the other actors around you can help as well if they're really into it and really good too, quite often. Is, um, yeah. Is crying as contagious as laughter? So, like, if others are crying around you, would you cry? Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, uh, focused. And if, if people are really focused and engaged in the scene that you're opposite, then you really believe it, I think, ten times more. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Do you cry out loud off screen, like, actual tears and... Uh, do you let go, let the emotions flow or do you hold it up in your personal life? Mm, wait, do I, oh, in my personal life, am I like emotional? Um, I hope not I emotional. Uh, I mean, my question is, do you like, there are some people who will just have a poker face all the time, even if they're feeling happy or even if they're feeling angry or they feel like crying. They hold on to the emotions. They don't let it flow. So that was an extreme example. But uh, even in normal people, they, they cannot let the emotion of crying or uh, sorrow, they, it doesn't flow naturally. So 
in how do you deal with it do you let them flow or do you hold it for releasing it at some other time you know it's really tough because i think people expect when they know you're an actor they expect you to be emotional but so you also have to contend with that which is like another layer of artifice in a way um and you know people like sort of you know expecting you to be emotional because they've seen it in the movie like in road to the well i'm like blowing up and being all crazy and stuff but yeah no i probably wouldn't see that and you'd have to know me really well to one day see me like lose my shit because no i'm pretty professional most of the time you know i i mean i think good humor is a great way of uh, getting through life and getting to know people so probably more likely to see me be humorous or talking about you know the imagination and and poetry and art it's probably what people mostly get out of me um but i think you know because you deal with a lot of people like in in the film industry and it takes like 500 people to make a film so you can't really be like uh a burden you know if you mm-hmm. sort of are, are too difficult then you get fired and people don't want to work with you it's that's not good uh same in theater same in television um and in the in the nft space everybody's online and inter- interconnected all the time right so you want you want to keep it professional as much as possible um and avoid drama so yeah probably i would save the drama for people who are really close to me and not be <laughs> uh not be really dramatic uh and you know i mean professionalism is is the best way to go because it's more sustaining for your friendships and relationships as well isn't it if someone's too much drama you just don't want to deal with it anymore right <laughs> so you know that that you said about audience looking at the actor on screen and having a concept of that actor in that same way so many of the villains in the films or in the tv series have a tough job coming out and dealing with the audience right <laughs> and the same with the lead actors or the protagonist will be all famous and uh, all celebrated like a maybe like a god or something by <laughs> audience what how you have you see all the actors up close or you also have uh, seen those reactions so how do you deal with it <laughs> um I, i think you know it's it's lovely um i've been yeah stopped in the street and by uber drivers and and you know obviously in twitter spaces and it's just it's just really nice if somebody uh com- recognizes something you've done and compliments you um i think uh yeah it's just about receiving a a nice compliment i haven't really um i haven't really experienced any sort of any sort of weirdness ab- about it yet mm-hmm. because probably i'm not as famous as superhero movie actor um 
they probably have to deal with a lot more than I have in, on that regard. So it's been all right. You know, India is crazy about movies. I think we produce the most movies compared to any other country because it's not just one language, right? I think over 1,000 movies are produced over a year. So it's not just one language. There are several languages. So there are several, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, movies that movies or genres and languages film coming out. So the Bollywood is quite famous. Everyone knows Bollywood. That's for the Hindi. But uh, there is also Tollywood, Collywood, and something more woods like that. <laughs> they are not real places, but it is just the the whole scene of films is called that. Uh, so one is for Tamil, one is for Telugu, and there is for Malayalam. There are other houses like that. Have you have you seen Indian films? Um, yeah, I was in uh, India a Bollywood film called The Black Russian. Um, but you know, in terms of like the big Indian movies, like Monsoon Wedding, uh, ah. I, it, it, classic, right? Yes. Um, and the, I mean, I guess, you know, um, embarrassed to admit it's mostly the ones that, that make it to our shore uh, or that, uh, yeah, that make it um, to the cinema out here or made by British filmmakers like Slumdog Millionaire was. Mm. Um, but I know that's not authentic Indian cinema. Probably the best one I know is Monsoon Wedding. But yeah, I have seen some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this doesn't happen now, or I'm not sure if it happens in a very small uh, thing, but 10, 20 years back, villains of the movies wouldn't get a house to rent in Mumbai or places like that. Wow. So people, <laughs> so they people get involved in that character so much that <laughs> it living becomes difficult for them, and then they have to do something else or work around with their agents and collectors to get a place to <laughs> uh, live or to wow. even eat. <laughs> <laughs> and other side of it is, uh, uh, Hinduism has got a lot of gods. And uh, Ram, Ramayan was the first portrayal of the TV series portrayal of from the religious epic, the book of Ramayan. So it was such a hit in 1980s. Whenever those people used to come and walk around, people used to just bow down and just lie flat on the floor to pay respects to them. Or the whole crowd used to gather and it celebrate them as uh, gods so this the actor the lead actor was telling his story on one of the shows he was a chronic smoker he used to keep smoking always and um, he was telling the story of how he stopped he was back of the theater and the producer or somebody from that stage came up to him and he said People look up to you as God and you're doing this. So it just he just went to a shock about that and he just quit from that moment itself. Wow. <laughs> and what a great responsibility, I suppose. Huh? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
it's sort of t- you do take on a lot, I suppose, of public exposure. Uh, but but also by being any form of public figure, at least as an actor, you're uh, you get to mask yourself with the character. You know, I'd hate to be a politician or something like that. That would be worse. <sighs> um, but to be, uh, you know, with, with acting, it's all play. It's all imagination, and we can go anywhere. We can be the darkest villain, or we can be like, you know, some angel but it's all at the end of it imagination and storytelling there's no as you mentioned yeah it's a responsibility isn't it (laughs) yeah and the fun good part about these days is you can be your own self also through social media like twitter where we met or instagram you can put out your own reels or get in touch with directly with the audience and talk on those spaces or on a podcast like this. And so people get to know you as a real person <laughs> and not just the mask of yours in the, from the movies. But <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, my, all my social media is like about poetry and art and films. And that's basically what I sort of drench my life in anyway. And, uh, but my girlfriend's also an actress. She's um, she's not here at the moment, but because um, she's in in Vegas with her parents, so I I have gotten her in into a couple of the collaborations, the art and poetry collaborations. You'll hear her voice in a few of them, um, and she comes into the Twitter spaces sometimes. Oh, so, interesting! What is her name? Yeah, Cynthia San Luis is her name. Um, and she's a Filipino actress who is also classically trained and loves Shakespeare as much as I do. So, <laughs> Very interesting. So yeah. do you plan to make a home film together on some, just something like it could be a short film? <laughs> yeah. Could home produced. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the, the poetry and art pieces, uh, I kind of like that, but maybe with something, I mean, I, I think whatever I, I put out, I want it to be of good production values. So mm, we'd have to, yeah. I mean, she, yeah, at some point <sighs> we'll do a short film or something. Yeah. So you mentioned a good production value. Do you, mm. how do you, what, what do you think about, a quote which somebody had said that perfection is the enemy of progress. So, <laughs> what do uh, you think? Uh, perfection is the enemy of progress. Hmm. I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance. I think that, you know, there's plenty of scrap bits of readings and things like that that the world will never see that I have on my computer. Um, I think, of course, you should experiment and play when you're in private. You know, when this is my study, right? This is my mic that I record with. Um, I spend all day in here playing with poetry and readings and performances and music and and different ways of, like, you know, animating things. 
But what you see is what I choose at the end of it, what I select. Okay, this is what I want for the final piece to put out there. So, yeah, absolutely play and create and be free and then refine for what you want to finish, finish the finished piece, refine the finished piece. That's what the world sees at the end. Maybe when I die, someone will come in and look at all my scrapbooks and things like that. But <sighs> while I'm alive, this is, you know, you're just getting the, the, hopefully, hopefully the finished pieces that are polished and what I want them to be. Uh, I think there's some stuff, of course, that looking back at that I would redo now, but, you know, not not too much actually you can do one thing about the people coming and getting to see your other works you can put it on ipfs or some global network like that uh, you can write it in your will that you want this to be done and then the whole world will have access to <laughs> all your works <laughs> that's a great idea that actually my mother who is an artist is is using the blockchain in that way. She's like minting her whole catalog, raisonne, like all her watercolors and sketches and paintings and just sort of everything um, for, you know, the years. And she says she's doing it for me to catalog all her artwork, which is uh, after she dies. Wow. Is, I was uh, going to ask you about your mother as we talked about uncle and father. So could you tell us more about your mother? How much time did you get to spend with her? Do you have, and also do you have any siblings? Uh, my, yeah, my mother, I speak to regularly because we have the, the art connection. I mean, she's out in the NFT space as well. We're online. You know, it's been a great way for us to stay connected more, actually. What it's is her name? Steph Fuller. S-T-E-F-F-U-L-L-E-R. Um, yeah, she, uh, has been one of the best selling artists on Solana so far. I know now a lot more people are coming in, but you know, she was one of the first fine artists on Solana, on Solana. Um, so yeah, she's a painter now. Uh, she was a sculptor and, um, you know, having that connection through the art world has been really helpful for us to be in touch um, and sort of, you know, have that have that connection, I think, is really good. Mm -hmm. okay. I, yeah, I, I have a, a half-sister as well on my father's side. So, you know, we don't speak as often as I'd like because my father passed away when I was young. So... But we do speak, and I, I really enjoy speaking to her. She lives in England. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you grew up more in Australia or, or in uh, England? Um, I would say it's probably equal parts in terms of time, but I identify more with my British side. I think as I grew up uh, more and more. I was born in England in my first seven years there. And then I did some high school in Australia and then went back to England. Mm, so, yeah, 
I, I would identify more with my British side. Probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's parts of my Australian side that come out like the sporty nation. You know, it's Australians are great at sport. Absolutely. Um, and, and that really sort of, uh, I was very sporty all up until lockdown. I was like extremely fit. I was like in my prime fitness at about 30, uh, early thirties. And then, uh, lockdown happened and I just stopped working out for the last year and a half. <laughs> I can, <laughs> I can get back into it, but so what, what sports did you play or do you play? Uh, I, I was doing Muay Thai like five times a week, uh, kickboxing. Oh, wow. And absolutely loved Muay Thai and actually can't wait to get back into it. But it, yeah, that was such a great adventure. And I trained at King's. So it would be like rolling out of bed, putting on my Muay Thai pads and my gloves was a morning ritual. And then running around this mat and then doing a few combinations. And then, you know, after about 10 minutes before you know it, you're standing in front of someone like, sparring with them in a fight it's it was amazing but there was no like emotion to it it was just like you know we're Mm. we're fighting and and then it was excitement but even when you get hit it's just sort of like "Ah." and then you're back at it and you're like i don't know there's something to when you get hit that often where (laughs) it you know it doesn't feel there's no emotional content to it like it doesn't feel shocking it doesn't feel frustrating it it's just sort of like part of part of your morning <laughs> it's a good take, it's good to get that way now what about taking that as a metaphor for like real life things <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely uh, well like that it's actually the easiest once you like get hit a few times i think it's the easiest hit that you could possibly take yeah <laughs> it reminds me of the rocky uh quote it's not about how hard you can uh hit or it's it's all about how hard you can get hit and keep still keep moving forward yeah that's a great quote isn't it <laughs> how hard you can get hit and keep gone what is that for, is that in the remake or the or the the i mean the sequels yeah, in like the it's in the sequels. Yes, yes. He, he's, he's telling that to his son. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great quote. How hard you can get hit. <laughs> I think that's, uh, yeah, for sure. That's a lot of truth, isn't it? Because you, no matter what big event happens, you still got to wake up in the morning, you know? There's always tomorrow. There is always tomorrow, Yeah. What what are your favorite films? As we, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about Rocky, so that I thought, let, let us know about your favorite films as you're also an actor. Mm. Yeah, um, I love Scorsese movies. I love um, Silence, Casino, Goodfellas. I love um, Ridley Scott movies too. Um, probably, you know, Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven and, the, the worlds that he's able to create. And he actually trained as an artist at St. Martin's. 
you can tell in his like sweeping shots and stuff that he he draws and paints out a lot of his films before before they start shooting um so i i love the imagination in his work and you know i work with um a 3d artist called cop gelderston and uh some of the pieces that we've been able to create i think have uh come close to a really scott aesthetic of like how to like in terms of the cinematography and lighting a classic subject so it's like how to bring to life a classic piece in in with modern cinematography and uh, special effects um and it's possible with painting too of course of course you got to work with the best painters of the day like Heinrich Dahlen and Tanya Ravillas or Dolce but it's possible um so yeah i i i love that I, I love exploring new whenever like the best of european cinema sort of spikes through the zeitgeist like um portrait of a lady on fire and things like that and uh, i got to watch check that out <laughs> yeah it's cool it's a good movie and yeah anything that Vin- vincent casal is in um you know i'm i'm working with uh an actor at the moment um who is absolutely a hero of mine uh on on a project uh that you guys will see soon um when does this podcast come out in 24 hours <laughs> okay so yeah so i can't really say too much but uh you know he he's worked with the likes of stanley kubrick and just just when i think about that just being a part of you know working with someone who's been a part of a legacy like stanley kubrick's is like uh, just like you're touching like a piece of history it's like you know collecting like a, a da vinci or something like that i really feel it's like on that level and um because i think every film that kubrick did was a masterpiece even eyes wide shut and barry linden and in 2001 and you know i i really sort of gravitate to those directors that are that what that you know they're the artists so what they're creating in their vision is like um a piece of history that will just last the test of time so uh anything by kubrick really scott scorsese um yeah is is got to be in my favorites so do you plan and what about the tv series uh tv is getting better and better i mean as the world is going in the direction that it is um you know the offer just came out it's actually one of my favorite shows i've ever seen uh which is about the making of the godfather oh which, wow yeah it just That's came out that's one of my favorite films 
Right, exactly. And the making of it, there was actually a lot of real-life gangster stuff going on behind the scenes during the time Mario Puzo was writing it because it was based on the real people, obviously. And they knew Mario. And uh, I didn't know the, the producers were somewhat you know, nefarious and involved mm-hmm. in mafia dealings. And so uh, it's, it was a fascinating bit of history. And obviously you get to see the Brando in it and you get to see the actors. The Pacino is amazing Pacino impersonation. And I mean, it goes beyond impersonation at that point. Um, but it's like, it's like a 10 hour movie, you know, it's really great. And Giovanni Rabizni and Miles Teller are fantastic actors. So yeah, it really is like a 10 hour movie. Um, and when is it coming out? That one just came out. It's a uh, Paramount Plus. That one. Um, I, I mean, I was just on this HBO show called Minx. Uh, I don't know if you managed to catch that one. Um, so Minx is about uh, this magazine in the seventies, which was the first Playgirl, and it's very much like Boogie Nights for women. Um, in that. It's a magazine about the first Playgirl. So uh, it started off like a feminist magazine and then became, she sort of uh, partnered up with this pornographer who was this wheeler and dealer and was like, well, why don't we give the ladies a bit of something, you know, to look at? Uh, And then you weave in your feminist agenda in that. So it added like a lot of glamour and naughtiness and, sex obviously to the to the like feminist uh, uh, agenda that they had and really fun watch i think you know i think the whole cast was hilarious the whole cast was hilarious on set like the energy was just really high when we got there when i got there and um the pacing of the show is very just really well done the writing of uh, mason flank who was also on set I, i got i was really lucky that i had him there because uh he was playing a role in, in the scene that I was in. Uh, usually you don't really get to speak to the writer, but um, I think he wanted to be there as well because of the character that I was portraying in, in Minx uh, as David Hockney, who is um, still, he's one of the, the most expensive living painters in that uh, his painting... Um, sold for 90 million dollars like a couple years ago i think only surpassed by puck uh and so you know he i mean had that sort of gravitas to it you know the fact that he achieved this high price which i don't think he cares about i think more of the interesting thing was that he was a cultural icon um and i think uh you know, I've even heard him say that in interviews. He doesn't really care if he's the most expensive or second or third or whatever. You know, what he left was a cultural legacy. Um, and and the scene itself, I mean, he, he was so well known for his pool scenes uh, in his paintings, Californian pools from the 70s. Um, like your mind just goes straight to David Hockney's paintings. And so the scene that we shot was set by a pool. And the whole introduction... Uh, of the character, you know, he's at a, a party with Hockney and I, I kind of take him by the shoulder and we have a chat about Minx 
because Hockney actually used to paint reference, paint, uh, you know, his male nudes. He used their magazine as a reference and, or different, uh, ladies magazines as references for the male nudes. And, uh, so he, he, in real life really liked the magazine. So he's, he's having a chat to the guy about the magazine as they're walking along this Californian pool and the sun is shining and there's, and the people in seventies dress around. I mean, it looks exactly feels just like a Hockney painting. I think that the whole crew did an incredible job of making it really authentic. And, um, Hockney actually was kind of connected to my past in that he was a good friend of my late father uh, because my late father was art critic at the time and Hockney was the most well-known British painter. So they would speak on a weekly basis on the phone. Now my father interviewed him several times. Like uh, if you can, if you look up on YouTube, Peter Fuller, David Hockney, the interview will come up on YouTube or online. Like there's a written one that's longer um, that I posted from one of his books and their correspondences in his archive were like this whole box of letters that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a ton to draw from <laughs> in terms of research that I'd already been doing for different reasons. Um, so it was almost just like uh, they want you to play Hockney. I'm. Let's go. I'm ready. Give me the wake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was, I was ready for this role. Uh, yeah, and I'm really thankful that uh, all that prepared me because I only had two weeks otherwise to prepare for it. So, uh, but luckily, I'd had like a lifetime to to prepare for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, and the, I mean, apparently, the only reason they hired me from from the audition was because Ophelia Loveybond, who is the uh, lead actress in the series, is actually British. She does an incredible job of hiding that because she her character is American. Um, and on set, she can just switch between British and American like, like that. I, I have to stay in accents because I find it easier to do that. But she was just... And you, there's no way you can tell, like she sounds dead on American, but so they're looking through my audition tapes and they, I guess they choose like a handful of guys they like. And then they say they get Ophelia cause she's British and they say, okay, Ophelia, we have no idea what a Yorkshire accent sounds like because David Hockney's <laughs> Yorkshire is like a really specific British accent. We have no idea. We're American. We don't know. You tell us which of these five guys does the best Yorkshire accent. And she just happened to pick me. Wow. <laughs> so could you do that Yorkshire accent for us right away? <laughs> oh, gosh. Yorkshire. Uh, David Hockney. I, I, suppose he, I suppose he would talk a bit like this, really. Uh, you know, when he was uh, giving interviews about art, I suppose. I don't want to do too much for that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So Yorkshire to New York. <laughs> New York. Uh, actually, you know what? New York is actually a little bit easier. Uh <laughs> New York, I think obviously it would be better to sort of study it before I just start talking in a New York accent, but you know, I I think I have more of it in my mind. There's more people that's 
speak in a New York accent that you hear on a daily basis. So there's more of a memory bank to draw from, you know. Yeah, 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 yes. Wow. <laughs> cool i really uh, i really uh, fond of the northern uh, accent like scottish or northern uh, british accent that's that's completely different <laughs> sometimes it's difficult to understand <laughs> oh yeah do you can you recall that accent or scottish scottish well i think this the thing about the scottish accent is really getting the rolled r's and you know um also the the way they the scottish pronounce um their vows is very specific and it's also something you have to study i think you can't just sort learn it just from listening a few times you, you know the scottish <laughs> accent is very specific <laughs> also <laughs> <laughs> That um, was too cool. That's definitely so, to put on the spot, but <laughs> it, it's better. It's better when I have a bit more time, but okay, but challenging. Yeah, <laughs> that was too cool. Especially the vowels and the times. <laughs> It'll be cool yeah. if I I would I should spend some time in uh, uh, learning those British accent because I think that's the international thing and. everyone understands even even more than british everyone understands american i guess because of the uh, media the, they are influencing the culture around the world so there was one uh, there's a good friend from iran who said i don't understand indian accent but i only understand Brit- american accent <laughs> you should go and learn some american accent <laughs> i was like cool i will Yeah, yeah, um, we hear it so often from being international that we even uh, everywhere on TV, right? Mhm. So, uh, Lawrence, what is on your bucket list next? Um uh, next would be working with Heinrich Dahlen on a on a big collection. Um Heinrich Dahlen, one of the most respected painters in the world for good reason. he paints like a baroque master he, he paints as good as bugaro or um any of the pre-raphaelites any of paints as good as rubens paints as good as anyone throughout art history um you know i defy you to put up a heinrich dalen next to any of those painters and say otherwise and his contemporary voice within that is just spot on um we're working together on a large collection and it is uh obviously if if you know heinrich's work is very dark and um, my poetry and uh yeah i don't think the nf the nft space has not seen anything like it the the art world has not seen anything like it uh it it's an exciting moment to be uh to be a part of that project and So wow when when could we get to glimpse of it or when are we going to see the project itself um it, it'll be out by the end of the year um yeah it'll be out by the end of the year and uh, which chain do you plan to publish it on because i see most of the work is on tezos of yours is there a reason for that um so yeah actually um uh, i mean i had like 10 pieces when i started minting on 
I, I put out about 10 pieces on OpenSea and, um, and they sold. Um, and I got on foundation and sold some pieces on that. Um, but I guess I, I came to Tezos because, uh, I mean, yeah, the gas fee, I wanted to collect a lot of works as well, but also the environmental factor was a big, was a big reason. The environmental factor. I didn't want to put out like a lot of additions on, um, on ETH because of the environmental factor, but you could do that on Tezos. Um, not that I, th- I put out like large additions, but you know, I think any number of additions really. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, most of my audience is from the film world, um, and the acting world. That's about 50, 50 at this point, actually. Um, so they care about that and oh. I care about that. So that, that was, um, all those reasons really. And then we sort of developed the culture and like found my people on there too. And, um, but yeah, as, as time goes on, it's more and more cross chain. You know, I've got a featured drop on exchange art with Solana coming up and, um, I did some more work on foundation with Tanya Revillas and so, and well, world of V as well that we did a curated drop on there. Uh, that's on V chain. Um, so I, I think the future's cross chain really. Yep. Um, but yeah, for, for this collection, I think as it stands, uh, we're looking at ETH. Okay. A foundation or OpenSea? Or super uh, <laughs> it'll be open sea and it'll be like a mint like people will have to mint it okay. it'll, it'll, it'll be a large collection large as in ten thousand. how large um i i can't say too much but i mean not more than ten thousand. um yeah it uh but it absolutely warrants it it's not generated it's um it's uh basically digital digital adaptations of Heinrich's portraits using GAN and AI. And they all look like Heinrich Dahlen portraits. It looks like ten thousand Heinrich Dahlen portraits, which is it is. It is. And uh we have an orchestra that we're working with for the music wow. to get live uh, original score, original poetry from myself and, and performance. And um, some one or two movie stars as well as coming on board uh, for some performances wow. and uh, building out a metaverse as well with like a world. We want it to be like a full immersive experience, you know, like it's a, it's an art project, but it's also a story that we're taking people on a journey. That is going to be extraordinary. I would definitely want to be a part of this. So let us let me know whenever you plan to launch it. Of course, I'll get to know on Twitter. But yeah, looking forward to that. Awesome. Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you, Tammy. That being asked, I, what are the three people living or dead you would like to have lunch with? Um, I would say 
Stanley Kubrick, um, my late father, and probably Caravaggio. And why these three you chose? Have you chosen these three? Yeah, I think Stanley Kubrick because he would just instigate. I think you could talk to Stanley Kubrick for hours and it would never not be interesting. And he would like poke and prod you in, in ways you'd never thought of before. Um, my, my late father, because I, I, I never knew him uh, really in person past the age of three. Um, so to know him as a man, uh, and he, you know, he wrote 15 books on art. And so he, uh, was definitely an interesting conversationalist that apparently he would speak on the phone for hours with people. So I think, uh, it, yeah, he would have been an amazing chap. Um, Caravaggio for a very different reason. Because Caravaggio was all heart. He was all gut. He was all visionary and rebellious and, you know, was uh, notably quite, actually quite a difficult person. But, you know, one of those fascinating rebels. He would have made a great, like, movie star or something. He just charismatic and just rogue genius. And maybe he he would be a really bad dinner companion, but just to meet him, <laughs> just to meet him and uh, experience what he had to offer, I think would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how was your feeling? How did you feel when you read your father's books or articles, magazines? Um, I feel... Mm, really engaged in what he's talking about. I think, you know, he had a way of, of being passionate about art that was extremely engaging for people who didn't even know him um, about topics that were otherwise really dense and otherwise very cerebral and otherwise perhaps maybe even academic. Um, he had, he found a way of making them extremely sort of uh, visceral and personal and, give a lot of personal meaning to each individual's existence, how, how a painting can actually fit into a moment of your life is what he was after and how painting and art can, um, enrich literally anyone's life, no matter what their circumstances, no matter, you know, what's going on in with them, you, you know, the culture is free. <laughs> Culture is there for anybody to pick up and to take in for what it truly means. Um, and that, that was all his, uh, that was all his mission. And so, um, it, it makes me feel like, you know, like there's a purpose there. Mm -hmm. Wow. He would have made a good podcaster with all his thoughts. What do you think? Uh, he would have been a great podcaster, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you plan to do that? Read out his books or maybe your own thoughts into a podcast? Mm, I, I like doing Twitter spaces all the time. I like uh, 
I like the nature of Twitter spaces because it feels like you're all getting together for a chat and then you have all these people listening in. So yeah, you, you can see me in Twitter spaces quite often. And so you could just record that and publish. So it could just leave a legacy or just keep being there for people also to be heard who are not on Twitter or... Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the interesting... Because Twitter, the, yeah. the recording gets expired in a, a month or so. Good idea. Um, I have done that with a couple spaces, but I should do that more often. Um, maybe I should do that now. But it stays in your Twitter data, doesn't it? That you can download it. They don't save it for a long time. It is just for one month or three months. I need to check the update. But it's just there for that that much. And then, then it's gone. So you can okay. keep taking backups on your cloud or drive or hard drives. And then, yeah. <laughs> so you can take monthly backups on your own and then let Twitter do whatever they want. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to do that <laughs> now. Uh, so uh, Peter Fuller Project, that is something I had read. What, what is that about? Um, yeah, Peter Fuller was my late father, so um, I've been writing a, a screenplay about him. Me. <clears throat> writing a screenplay about him for a long time, um, and it it is um, the story that I learned from his letters and his journals and the writing that I found in the archive at the Tate uh, when I went to digitize it which is a story of, um, you know, contemporary art, particularly in England, um, from the late 60s to 1990. Um, and his journey of navigating through it and talking to these figures who were central uh, in the art world every day, um, letters, interviews, um, correspondences, and, you know, taking out of that, I guess, the a story. Um, uh, he led a fascinating life, and his relationships were probably the most fascinating part of it. Mm. Um, his relationships with these people who were, uh, you know, foremost thinkers of their day, creative artistic thinkers. And also in literature, I mean, John Berger had written uh, award-winning books and was considered the top art critic of uh, the 20th century. And that was one of his best friends. And they had a huge um, correspondence that was like boxes of letters. Uh, uh, a brilliant read. Yeah. So basically, I, yeah, I shaped that into a screenplay and, it won uh, eight awards at screenplay competitions and um, uh, working with a producer and director to develop it. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so um, is that the script that you won award for? You're an award-winning writer. So for which one and what was the award? Yes, for Modern Art, um, it won... It won eight, uh, Burbank 
international film festival, um, Hollywood Real Film Festival. Um, and just one sec, I've kind of forgotten what they are. Uh, you lose track after a little bit, but it's all very nice. Bristol Independent Film Festival, Oil Valley Film Festival, Page Donor Screenplays, um, Ojai Film Festival, some other ones. Is that so, available on Vimeo? Um, no. There's like a trailer that I cut together that's like a sizzle reel. It's like for people you know, who... I was... Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, you know, why can't people have with so much technology there? I was finding it difficult to find your movies on different platforms at so many places, and then I have to play pay to that platform just to watch your movie. So instead of that, why don't you have a website where all your films are there at one place, and I just subscribe to your website to watch your content, and that's it. I don't have to go to so many other places to figure mm. out and to explore which films are at which location and if they are available or not available and so on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, I have links to like the Amazon, iTunes, IMDb. But mm. the the problem with that is um, I don't own it. So mm. I can only link oh, yes. to, yeah, another company, the distribution companies own, own the content. Mm. And so most of the time you have to be subscribed to it because that's how they make money. I don't make money from it. I get royalties, which are like <laughs> not very good in, in independent film. But uh, the HBO royalties should be better, but yeah. NFT royalties are better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and NFTs would be eternal or it's all in the contract, I guess. So... Uh, it cannot be tapered with or it's, it's there in the code. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's much more of a percentage than you get on film mm-hmm. uh, or anything else. I mean, um, it'll be interesting to see when more filmmakers come into the space and how when more film is uh, made available through NFTs, which I think it will. Oh, that would be such an awesome idea. So. I have to go nowhere. I just can pay for that NFT and watch the film. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think that'll be how it, how it plays out in the end, especially for independent film. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think David Lynch just dropped a piece on Super Rare. Oh, is it? Let me check. <laughs> and I know, um, I know Quentin Tarantino wanted to drop a piece, but... Um, in the end, he didn't have have the rights to the script at the time, or something. Or there was some kind of IP issue. Um, so they're aware of it. You know, <laughs> they they have ideas. I think it'll happen more and more. Which is a favorite Tarantino film? Um, That's really hard to choose. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I like all of them, uh, but I think probably Inglorious Bastards is the most well-rounded in terms of like the humor and the the quality of the dialogue. And the... I actually really want to watch that now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I. I am going to watch it. Watching it. Yeah. 
getting brutally murdered instead of the victims. That was great. So satisfying, you know, like this, this is a movie version of, of what, what we all would have wanted to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to see where I can watch. Oh, I have Hulu. Okay. I can watch it on Hulu. And, and nice. as you mentioned with the production houses, so even, it is different country to country wise because those links I was uh, even if I searched I couldn't find that here. So it wasn't available in Amazon.in. It's not available on Amazon.in. Oh, okay. Well, if you if you type in the name of the movie on Google, Road to the World. Let me see here. Uh, that. It comes up in like a sidebar watch watch movie on Google, or it should do, I guess, depending on your browser. Mm-hmm. And then on there, it should tell you. So if you are on the link, could you just uh, put that in the chat here? I will. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, just Google search Road to the Well. But here we go. Ba-bam. It's free on... <laughs> So it's on Paramount Plus, Amazon Prime, Roku, okay. Apple TV, YouTube TV. So which, amongst all these films you have done, which was your most memorable or which is going to be in your heart and mind for a long time? Um, I would say... You know what? It's a really weird sort of... A slightly violent grotesque movie but road to the well uh i think is it, it just it, it does have my heart a little bit because it was the first feature that i did that i was like yes this is cinema this is like a good american independent film this is why i came to la to make movies like this <laughs> and there was that feeling like when we were on set as well like the director we were all 27 at the time myself the director the other lead actor uh and it it just felt like it was a moment in our lives you know that we would always remember and um you know we really we really did something and uh yeah so i'm I'm proud of it for that it's not a perfect movie by any stretch but it's it's a fuck it's a it's a meaty movie. It's a it's like an emotional movie. It's a roller coaster of of intensity. And uh Yeah. Yeah, the but trailer was intense. <laughs> it's super intense. Uh it it's also it's also quite like weird in parts as well. Like quirky humor and stuff like that that's that's in it. It's a, it's 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 a weird movie. Uh but I like it. I like that about it. I like that it's weird. 
so and which is which is a related, which is an nft which is a weird or uh, with those emotions that you just mentioned uh intensity and uh, i would say i probably haven't done anything as contemporary as that in the nft space but i would say like the intensity of something like tablets with cup gelderstone which is a reinterpretation of michelangelo's moses uh which also was somewhat inspired by my late father's writing on 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 the sculpture and freud's take on it and the concept of terribleta because it's moses like as he's dropping the tablets on the ground as he's just seen the golden calf and you know they're worshiping this false idol and um the sort of irony of you know the of digital art being like a fault the golden calf right and traditional art sort of like dropping the tablets in shock and you know but my participation in that and uh sort of imagining that like deep sense of guilt and or at uh you know the power and terribleta of the wrath of uh you know my late father's legacy looking at it in horror uh i think all that intensity sort of came out in tablets i've done some i've done some pretty intense poems though. you could probably flick through <laughs> most of them and go oh, that's pretty intense <laughs> so apart from my never Apart yeah. from NFTs, where do you publish your poems, or where? No, nowhere. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think you can find my uh, poetry anywhere else because uh, I write them and then I perform them and then I make the NFT out of it, and that's the process that I go through. And maybe at and- some point I'll make a book from them, but I I don't see the need to or or purpose of doing so right now so what is your process of creating those nfts art there is three to four aspects to it art poetry music and then the narration of that so what is the process of how does the idea incept with the inception and take us through how it ends and it is minted i i mean it has to start with the concept the initial idea for the piece and then um the poem and um working with the artist the visual artist tend to go symbiotically and like running alongside each other sometimes like sending back sketches and or notes like quite often i'll draft like some notes for the poem first and talk about we'll talk about the concept first and then they'll get sketching and send something back and 99 of the time i I'm blown away by the people I'm I'm working with because I'm often working with people who I just think are just world-class artists. Uh, and so they send something back and I'll go, wow, I'm so lucky to be a part of this. And then I'll perform the piece here with my microphone and these headphones exactly like this. And, uh, and then probably I'll perform the piece like, uh, a dozen. So sometimes it can take like 
you know, a whole day of performing the piece to, to get a take that I, that I want. And sometimes I have to cut it together from different takes and, um, and then, and then I'll score it with the music. Um, I started scoring my own pieces, uh, late last year, um, from, I used to like license and sample music before that and remix it. But then I wanted to create my own original sounds, um, just because I wanted to. Mm. Uh, and so that also takes a long time because <laughs> music is a whole other craft, but the closest I can come, I think is creating a soundscape with like the sounds of cellos and the different instruments available on, on, you know, the music software that I have. Um, what software do you use? Uh, orchestra tools. And you can download like the Berlin symphony orchestra from that. And which is kind of cool to think of like when you're pressing a key, that was a cellist from the Berlin symphony orchestra making that note. Uh, or wow. yeah. So it's, it's cool. What's possible. It doesn't sound the same as a live orchestra, but it, you know, for creating a soundscape where the the performance and the visuals are f at the forefront and it's like scoring a film you know you you write the music to the visuals and uh, the um, the performance as well the i mean so the music is bias in that it's it's designed to showcase the performance and the visuals best so it's not a music piece um whereas if you were creating a music piece you wouldn't worry about the music intruding on, on those things. Mm. So, um, because the music is the, the show, the main show. Whereas when it's like more like a score, it's a fine art of like when to come in and, and, you know, basically creating the, the emotional sounds around what's going on. So, so then I'll put the music to it. And usually by that stage, it's all finished. Yeah. Unless I, I you know. Yeah. Unless. Unless, you know, if I'm contributing to the visuals, then uh -huh. that's different too. Then, but I usually finish the visuals uh, around the same time I'm writing the, the piece. So these artists that you collaborate with, how do you spot them? Or if somebody from the audience listening wants to uh, join or do a project with you, what would you say to that? Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, get involved. I mean, if, if you've got what it takes and you've been practicing your craft as an artist for, you know, a, a long time, um, how long? Um, I, don't, I don't know a good answer for that. But I think like in, like in, you know, in, in the, in the traditional world, like you have to just be so dedicated to what you're doing that it's, it's all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very much like that. But the difference is that if you do really have the talent, then you have a much better chance to shine 
in NFT community because um, it functions a bit more like a meritocracy. Maybe that's a controversial statement, but I think in the arts, in, in any realm of the traditional world, there's so much of like, you have to suck up to someone for years until they give your resume to someone and your talent mm-hmm. doesn't even come into play. Where, whereas in, in Web3, it's like, there's my talent immediately. Do you like it or not? You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And then a lot of people decide if they like it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely hone your craft and, and, you know, define the artist that you are and then put it out there and you'll meet people. So they can, uh, after putting it out, if they want to collaborate specific with, specifically with you, how do you, what is the quickest and best way? Twitter, tweeting, tweeting it to you or what else? Or I, do you even entertain people showing their artworks to you or is it you going out and looking at people's work? Yeah, I go out and, and look at people and I like check certain people's feeds all the time. And um, I, you know, anybody who follows my feed will see uh, I, su- I support artists and NFT um, every day. I'll retweet about 10 different artists. Uh, that's not a, that's just a rule of thumb. That's just like, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's all, you know. <laughs> uh, so I'll go out and I'll look at stuff. And basically the best way to catch my eye is just if a bunch of artists that I like share your work, um, then I'll probably end up seeing it. So yeah, surround, get in and get involved. Like look at the artists that I'm sharing, look at the artists that they're sharing and, um, sort of engage and with the tweets and, um, and eventually I think, you know, if, if it catches their eye, it, it'll probably catch my eye. Wonderful. I, I just love a couple of works that you had shared. Those oil on canvas works were awesome. Even the 3D works in your timeline. So yeah, you could go to uh, Lawrence's timeline to see the recent discoveries of his. So yeah, thanks for that. About music. I I am a visual artist too. I create NFTs. There are about 70 in one collection and 152 in the other one. I like to add music to my NFTs, but that's just like an add-on. I'm not really experienced in creating music. So I try to find royalty-free loop music online and I just put it in. So... I was wondering because that takes additional effort to put that in. So should I put, should I just create artworks like visually that I'm putting in or should I add music as well to it? (laughs) What do you think? Um, Wait, wait, you're a visual artist and you're adding music to it? Yeah, but the music is not my contribution. My contribution to music would be just to finding the best one and putting it in. I Mm. haven't created the music. These are royalty-free musics that Mm. I'm adding to my visuals. Yeah, I I mean, that's fine. I mean, if it's like the main show of what you have to offer is your visuals, and that's where the value is. Of course, if you think that music will... Um, accentuate that like a 
a classic piece or something. Of course. Mm. I mean, uh, mm. it. I think, you know, and especially if it's in the, the description, what it is, then do whatever creates the best result. Um, I think because, you know, in, in cinema as well, they, they, they source mm, classic recordings and things like that all the time um, and license music for it as well. But you look at a film as a whole. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is a great example. There's a ton of his movies license some music from elsewhere, other music that's already been done. And he's like curating the soundtrack from music that's already been published. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you go through this, the correct legal steps of licensing it and, and doing it uh, in a way that, you know, you're protected legally, then, then go for it. Um, yeah. I think if you want to take it another step further, then create your own music for it. But that's uh obviously takes time and an effort and um, learning how to score, score a painting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that would be difficult and it would take so much time to learn. That's, that's whole new uh, part of your brain working. Like there's totally different skills to that. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've, totally resigned to the fact that m- my scores you know probably not going to be as good as a film scores you know or in a Stanley Kubrick movie or something like that but hey even in Stanley Kubrick movies he like he has licensed like classical mm, classical songs so you are more into the classical songs of the European uh, places, I was seeing this video on YouTube about the composer of Dunes, the movie. So he was like, uh, all the star movies and all the sci-fi movies are all these uh, big uh, cellos and orchestras and these uh, vibrating songs. We're used to hearing those. But then he went out and searched for new because it's an alien galaxy, right? It's an alien planet. So he wanted to put in some alien sort of music or some instruments that haven't uh, used been used before. So you should see that video. It's really interesting. So the flutes he has brought in or the way of those sands and those uh, the works that he has created in. <laughs> it's really yeah. interesting to see that. I, I, love, so, I love the Dune soundtrack. And um, you, I mean, you bring up a good point that actually like sound effects can serve as instruments and notes in a, a really unexpected ways. <laughs> so uh, do you think, would you go and experiment with something totally uh, new, like from something from Africa or from India or uh, China or Southeast, pick up some tracks like that? <laughs> yeah. I've, I mean, of course I'd be open mind to it as long as it fits with the piece and uh, like yeah, I'm thinking now. I often use like um, the sound of the ocean or wind or um, there's actually some sound effects of um, like a, a spaceship engine that I that I've used quite a lot in in some of my pieces because <sighs> it's like a particular kind of hum that just uh, I guess 
took the place of uh, uh, a cello or a violin, just the sound of a spaceship hum. It was, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very can, cool. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's still, um, it's still something I'm exploring, you know, how to create the soundscapes, but, um, it can absolutely come from anywhere. Yeah. There was this NFT, which I'd done. It was, uh, called death trap. That was my closest thing to making my own score. I wanted to portray the war or things that are happening in Ukraine or the places there. So there are skulls in between, trapped. Uh, so it's a, it's called death trap because life at what cost? Uh, what we get out of war is just a pile of skulls and nothing else. So in this NFT, there was uh, this trap of skulls in the foreground and there were soldiers and uh, destruction and war zone and blast in the background and the music was of cannons and bombs and alarms uh, and ambulance and those those things and then also I added a track of those um, um, orchestra of music where they build, try to build up tension so I put all those four or five tracks together in a time and then added that <laughs> cool I'll show uh, that video to you. Yeah, please do. That sounds great. I'd love to hear it. I mean, <laughs> um what an emotional um what an emotional roller coaster that sounds like. Uh. <laughs> awesome. So uh Lawrence, it was amazing to chat with you today. It's been uh, almost two hours. No, two hours it has been. So what what words would you like to conclude with? um i i would say live passionately um do love what you do and and do it do it to the fullest and don't get distracted by the bullshit yeah that's all awesome <laughs> so thank you once again for coming to the show best wishes to yourself uh your girlfriend your mom for all the works and looking i'm so looking forward to see that though that ten thousand project of yours which will i think would come in next six to eight months so best wishes for everything i uh, will catch you soon in the twitter spaces and all other spaces that you are in and definitely within a week i'm going to watch that movie uh the road to well yeah cool so, yeah, let me know if it's not available in India. I'll send you the Vimeo. Thanks for tuning in. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on the new shows and to participate on live recordings. All links are mentioned in the show notes. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode.